two English majors walk into a bar is created by immature adults for other immature adults. Listen at your own discretion. Welcome to Two English Majors Walk Into a Bar, a literary comedy podcast. I'm Kathleen Brumbach. And I'm Christian Lutz. I would definitely do opium with Oscar Wilde. I would get arrested with Oscar Wilde. (laughs) Worth it. People used to tell me I talked about books too much. And now you drink about books. (laughs) Is it time to get lit? Let's get lit. Hey, Christian, I was going to ask you like two seconds ago, do we have anything to start the show with up top? I don't think so. Um, it is Pride Month, so that's that's exciting. Um, there's all kinds of stuff going on in Chicago right now. I'm sure New York has just as much. Oh, yes. Um, yes. There will be the parades. Festivals. Yes. Parades, festivals, food, cool stuff to enjoy. Uh, I actually got to go to Stonewall for the first time, so that nice. was fun. I, I had passed by there, but never actually visited so that was fun it's very cool down there in the west village yeah um yeah cool cool so our our theme is pride for this episode uh in honor of june and pride month and who are we christian we are the two english majors walk into a bar a literary comedy podcast yay Yay. we did good we did that was that was was pretty good yeah it's it's a really like um kind of somber tone right now we've both had like busy days stressful days Kathleen's being very nice right now because I am hella hungover (laughs) this bitch we were supposed to record way earlier and this bitch Uh, my night just got a little out of control we're throwing Christian (laughs) under the bus completely uh you tried not to and I was just like go for it you know no, she knows how she is. She knows how she, but then I had a very chaotic day. So I did need some time to decompress. Yeah. My chaos was just like appointments and everything just being absolute trash. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, but except this, we're yes. not trash. Well, well, we are trash. We are, but we're a good kind. But the kind, of trash. yeah, I was going to say, we're the good kind. Yes. Oh my. What was it the other day when you had pizza and you were like trash food when it hits just right? Yeah. Okay. So I went to visit a friend who is vegan. So I ate vegan for a solid like week. And when I got back, I was like, I want all the cheese. I want carbs. And I couldn't do meat because if you eat vegan for a week, things I didn't realize about my body, you will get sick. (laughs) So I'm weaning myself back into meat because I do not want to go vegetarian. Uh, But yeah, so I wanted all the trash when I got home um, and all of the cheese in the world. So I went with really shitty pizza yes and you texted me about it and i was like when that trash hits just right Mm -hmm. that's how people feel about this podcast (laughs) (laughs) that should be our our, like our new opener two english majors walk into a bar when the trash hits just right right. (laughs) exactly that's us yeah it's great (laughs) oh cool so i think i'm going first and i was just telling christian about my piece of literature it's not that long. It's actually short. Yeah. But we decided the reason we had to record this conversation is that Kathleen, it's not about length for Kathleen. Kathleen can make a haiku into a four hour conversation. That's where we (laughs) ended up. It's so true. I can, I can go on for days. I, if I like it, I can talk about it. I mean, that's truly the strength of the, the English major is that, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're excited about something you read, you really can write an entire dissertation on it. Yeah. 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 Um, I am going to torture you today though, because I, I'm doing a play, um, (laughs) (laughs) which is exciting, but it was a book first. So um, I'm really going to talk about the book, but it's based off, the book was based off a play. So, um, you know, it's, it's exciting, but also I'm not going through it by scene, which is what you generally do with plays. And I think it's going to torture you a little bit. What? And the Wikipedia page is like a whole three sentences. Just saying. You changed your thing? You changed no. your piece? No? No. I didn't know it was a book written that the play is based off of, that the book was based off a of play. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> this will be a surprise for me. Okay. So I'm going first. And mine is a play too. Mine is Private Lives by Noel Coward. So Ooh. yay. Yes. So uh, Noel Coward, for anybody who might not know, He was a famous playwright that wrote in the 1920s and 30s. He is English. I think uh, he's definitely British. 
checking to see if he is English now, just in case. Yes, he is English. I'm like, oh, no. What if I'm saying something wrong and he's actually Irish? Uh, But no, he is English. And Private Lives was written in 1930. And Noel Coward enjoyed a lot of success during his lifetime, during his career in uh, both England and the U.S. So why I kind of wanted to cover Noel Coward for this episode was because he actually, as far as we know, and his writings, he lived his life as an openly gay man and in a time where it was not safe to be Mm -hmm. an openly gay man. And he was a part of a lot of like um, kind of high society circles in England and Scotland and America. And he enjoyed a lot of success, but that also came with um, a a very like heavy uh, dampening on like his, his personal life and his social life because he was kind of walking this very thin rope of being one of the first playwrights that could be openly gay. Mm Mm-hmm even though it wasn't accepted by mainstream society at the time. So um, I, I think that a lot of his plays, well, I don't think, I, I do know that a lot has been written about uh, homosexual themes in his plays, even though most of his plays are about heterosexual couples, including this one. And so we'll get to that toward the end. But uh, I, I have to say, this is a comedy. It's a comedy of manners. And it's uh, comedy of manners. We kind of think of Oscar Wilde a lot. Mm-hmm. So, and, okay. Also, Who we love. yes. Also, I'm just going to come out and say it. Queer people are really good at writing <laughs> comedy of manners. Because when I was looking through, I was like, a lot of queer authors are, you know, like specifically making a, a comedy of manners, if you don't know, is about uh, basically critiquing like high society people or people who occupy like royal societies or um, just very, very influential, wealthy people. And it's uh, satirizing them. Satire? Satire. What is it? What what word am I thinking of? I have no idea. I'm too hungover. I don't know the words anymore. (laughs) Okay. So it's it's satire. It's making fun of them. And it's a good example of punching up. And so that's something that drama- I feel like that makes sense though, because I'm sure that like historically- queer people have been not not been welcome in those societies. So it makes sense that they would feel like, you know, they would find the comedy in that. Like you'd have to, if right. you're living in that society, like Oscar Wilde was, like you'd have to find the jokes to survive. <laughs> right, right. And and finding the the humor and uh, and calling people out. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, you know, as a straight person, I can only imagine because I have not experienced what it's like to be a part of a society that does accept you on one hand because maybe you have a lot of money mm-hmm. so you are accepted into their society for that reason but then doesn't accept you for something you know just your sexuality yeah. the way that you are you know or you know gender discrimination so that is definitely something that i think noel coward is touching on in a lot of his plays being accepted on one side but then yeah. not on the other and this play is uh, it, it it addresses the issue of divorce, which you would think would not be a comedy, but, it's but it is. It's absolutely hilarious. This play came yeah. into like my worldview uh, in college when I was uh, searching for plays from different eras, and I came across this one, and immediately I came across the um, Alan Rickman and Lindsay Duncan 2001 performance. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which looked really, really cool. And yes, I did watch every single second of it on YouTube because that's what you did in like (laughs) 20... Thanks, YouTube. Yeah, that's what you did in 2013 when you were researching things in college. Um, Oh, I did not, but... (laughs) You didn't watch? Okay, like if you had a play Mm -mm. to read in college, you weren't watching the performance? I didn't read a lot of plays. No, no, I did not. I was not that in depth. Um, But I also just didn't read a lot of plays in college. Oh, rude. Well, see, yeah. you could have see, see, that's where you fucked up, Christian. You could have cheated this whole time. No, you could have cheated. Like that's that's the easiest way to cheat because mm. then you don't actually have to read it. You just watch the play. I guess that's true. Work smarter, that. not harder. And then <laughs> then you get sucked into it. Then you become an actor. Then you go to therapy. That is uh, that's the career path. That's the path you follow. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just skated by and read what they told me to, and that was about it. And worked at Walmart. 
And worked at Walmart. <laughs> That's how I spent my time. A career at Walmart. I'm glad I'm not there. So <laughs> I'm glad I'm not. We're all <laughs> glad that we're not there, Christian. Everyone's glad they're not at Walmart. Yeah. No one. Sorry no to one anyone is who just, is at Walmart. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to this at Walmart right now, leave. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we're sorry for you. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> this play does not take place at Walmart. This play, all these people are like hella That's fancy. Yeah. And my my like 30 second summary of this play is people, especially the witty ones, need to go to marriage counseling. Hmm. Rich, smart people, always, immediately. All four of these characters. You should know you need counseling. Yeah, immediately. (laughs) They all need to go to marriage counseling, and we'll see why. So uh, drinking I'm excited. Yes, drinking. uh, Christian, uh, you know, to help your hangover over there. uh, (laughs) Drinking. Hair the dog. Yes, hair the dog for Christian. Um, Drink every time we mention bickering. Okay. Because I feel like we don't. But. We don't use, well, our, our audience can. Every time we yeah, mention yeah, bickering. Yeah. Drink for me. Yeah, drink for Christian because, or pour one out for Christian. I feel like we don't talk about bickering as much now. I feel like it's an outdated word. And I, I really enjoyed coming across it so many times mm. in this uh, synopsis. So yeah, let's jump right in. There are only three acts, which is why I texted Christian. And I was like, it's not that long, I promise. As now we've been talking for like 25 minutes. But yeah, so act one, we start out at a fancy schmancy hotel in Deauville, Deauville, Um, but it's a, it's like the South of France. It's a fancy hotel and this guy named Elliot and his much younger new wife are honeymooning at this hotel. Yes. Well, guess what? They're in their room. They're like kind of bickering a little bit because Sybil- Yes. Drink. So Elliot is older. Sybil is much younger. They're kind of like they are on their honeymoon and they do get along and they seem well suited for each other, but they're kind of bickering. And you see some like early cracks in their marriage. So the famous scene in act one is Elliot goes out on his uh, terrace of the Mm -hmm. hotel room to smoke. I think it's to smoke or like to drink or something. He goes out on the terrace and who does he see on the like uh not adjoining but kind of like uh adjacent that's a word yeah on the adjacent that terrace, is a word. <laughs> christian can confirm adjacent is a word is a word in fact yes, yes. <laughs> this just in yep uh so who does he see on that other terrace he sees amanda <gasps> ex wife so he sees amanda and she is also there at the same hotel honeymooning with victor her new, her new hubby husband yes so now we've got these Ooh, two couples drama. yes so much this is like a reality tv show at this point we've got it, these it two like couples it. yeah at the same hotel there's about to be a lot of drama and we have a funny little scene with elliot and amanda bickering back and forth basically being like you need to find a new hotel for your honeymoon <laughs> And then the other one's like, no, I'm not going anywhere. You find another hotel for your honeymoon. And so yes, it goes on and on like that. And then I'm skipping down to like the next I'm I'm already almost through act one. That's how fast. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I am impressed. I'm very impressed. So uh, now they are they have to go back in and they have to talk to their new spouses and then they don't want to change hotels. The new spouses get pissy with each of them because they're like why would we want to change hotels this place is great i don't want to change hotels and so sybil and victor the new younger spouses decide to they kind of like storm off and they say we're gonna go eat dinner alone and that's never a good sign on a honeymoon no no so uh they basically leave elliot and amanda alone together they realize they still love each other and Which is probably shouldn't. why their spouses are eating alone on a honeymoon. Exactly. Everybody's eating alone on this honeymoon. Everybody. Mm. And so they get together. They decide they still love each other. They regret getting divorced. And they decide to run off together. At the end, This is act one. They decide to run off together. <laughs> and they're going to go stay. In- you paid a lot of money and put a lot of work in to make up your mind after marrying someone else. That's just exactly. Sad. And in the 1920s and 30s, divorce was like super difficult. Yeah. It's very so, risky, especially for the woman. 
Exactly. And you basically had to like come up with like a lot of paperwork for like yeah. why you want to get a divorce. You can't just be like unreconcilable differences. <laughs> but that's exactly what the this couple has is unreconcilable differences. Which they, is why they're going to get divorced again. Right. If they ever even remarry. Uh, there's yeah. a really funny line in the play that I remember where um, they they've just been bickering. And they are kind of like at a, a lull in the conversation. And Elliot says, um, according to the Catholics, we're as married as we've ever been. <laughs> they don't believe in divorce. This and is so true. technically, they never got divorced in the eyes of yeah. the Catholic Church. <laughs> and so uh, and there's a lot of discussion in this play about divorce and like what it means for each party and yeah. what it means, you know, in the greater you know, um, scheme of like society, how society views divorce and views um, different gender roles in a marriage. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that, you know, I, I feel I like wonder... it'd be, I've never read this play, but I feel like it would be interesting to look at from a perspective of like how things are sa the same and different. Like exactly. I bet there are a lot of standards that are very similar. So, and oh, like yeah. social expectations. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's also interesting to note that, you know, at the time, it would have been very rare for them to be in a marriage. They had a three-year-long marriage, followed by it's been five years since they got divorced. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, assuming they're in their, like, mid-30s by now, they're, they're mm -hmm. 35, just like Christian. Uh, mm -hmm. And so Forever, they're in their mid-30s yeah, mid to 40s, and they're both childless. I feel like and we're going to so have to do a special episode when I actually turn 35. <laughs> our theme will be the number 35 um 35 like we'll do 35 pieces of literature <laughs> kathleen's just looking for a way to talk more <laughs> no and each 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 one that we cover it'll have to be a 35 second summary of all 35 of them i like it Yes. Or we can do 30 to 35 topics or something like that. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Commentary Ooh. on both. We, we could do like 35 um, literary devices. I like it. I like it. My ADD is way worse when I'm hungover, I think. I've just like pulled you completely off track. <laughs> which Back we know. To divorce. <laughs> I know, which we know we should not do to Kathleen. <laughs> she struggles enough. You just follow. <laughs> You're like, I'll, I'll go with you. Yeah, we'll go yeah. down that bunny trail. I, yes, I, I yes and your bullshit. <laughs> it's the actor in you. I know. Okay, so back, <laughs> at least we made it back through to act divorce. One. Yeah, back to divorce. We made it through act one. They're running away together because now they want to get back together and they're going to Amanda's flat in Paris because these people are just so rich. They just have apartments in different places. And I can't so, even afford one. <laughs> I know. They have multiple. So yeah, they <sighs> go to her flat in Paris and now we're in act two and. Uh, it says, after dinner at the Paris flat, several days later, Elliot and Amanda use their code word, which is Solomon Isaacs. Abbrevi That's a really long code word. Oh, it's don't worry, girl. You're OK. You're already there. It's almost like you're reading the Wikipedia page. Because <laughs> the next the next thing it says on the Wikipedia page is soon abbreviated to Sullux. Yeah, because uh, how... I'm just saying, if you're into BDSM or whatever, and you're like doing something, and you have to say the whole thing. It's not that's, like that's Kiwi, what I want to see. Like <laughs> I want to see a version of this play where they're all just dressed up in like leather daddies and BDSM clothes, <laughs> and that's like, and, and they don't explain it. Yeah, they just don't explain it in the program. They don't explain it. Would why. just be very clearly BDSM, and that's why they ended up breaking up with their spouses in the beginning is because they had really boring sex and then they go into <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. but it's just heavily implied by the way it's acted never said and the costumes yeah. and then and then there's just like a sex swing just in the middle just in the background yeah yeah in the background that nobody addresses the entire play it's <laughs> Chekhov's gun but nobody addresses you need to start directing make this happen I know I know instead of Chekhov's passion gun, projects yeah instead yeah. of Chekhov's gun it would be Kathleen's sex swing <laughs> It would be famous. Everyone oh, would yeah. know. Perfect. We have a plan. <laughs> All right. Now that we've directed the Moving show. On. <laughs> Moving on. So at Act 2, they, they have this beautiful... The dialogue in this play is just so witty. It's so exciting and it moves so fast. It's like Oscar Wilde on steroids. 
they they kiss, they make out. It's kind of like sexy, flirty. Um, and they have these arguments and it says they argue violently and try to outwit each other just as they had done in their stormy marriage. Their mm. ongoing arguments escalate to a point of fury where Amanda breaks a record over Elliot's head and he retaliates by slapping her in the face. Wow, that's a healthy relationship. I know. Everybody needs to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. That's not called passion, just so we're clear. That's called abuse. (laughs) That is abuse. Even if people choose to abuse each other, they should not. It's still abuse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So yeah. They need to go back to, yeah, they need to go to therapy. Right. Or kindergarten. And and that's also like an intro, because this play still gets performed with some regularity today in theaters, you know, everywhere in England and here. And so- yeah, yeah, it's pretty popular. Um, and and a lot of people read it in college. And so how do you Not address me. this? <laughs> Not Christian. I'll send you the link to the Alan Rickman one if it's still <laughs> on YouTube. I do love Alan Rickman. Yeah, it is it is worth watching, like at least the trailer for it. I, I go on deep dives. Like as soon as I open the YouTube app, it, that's a whole afternoon for me. Like I, yeah. I can't help myself. It it's like how I talk with <laughs> I just go on and on and on. Um <laughs> But it's just yeah. the way your brain works. That's fine. It is. I can't control myself. Mm-hmm. I've sometimes I say I've had too much coffee, but then again, I'm like, what I'm referring to is, what is I've enough had, coffee. I started with too much coffee. It doesn't. I'm not referring to the beginning of the day when I had too much coffee. I'm referring to like back like in life. 1999 when I had too much. Yeah. I had too much coffee then, and it's just carried <laughs> over every consecutive day since '99. That's <laughs> I've been over caffeinated Started since I was on, a yeah. child. <laughs> it's just part of your bloodstream now. If you cut me, I bleed coffee. That makes sense. But also, segue, so does Elliot and uh I forgot her name, Amanda. So does Elliot and Amanda. <laughs> they love coffee? They do. That well, I don't know if they love coffee specifically, but I think they do reference coffee several, like coffee and like cognac. It's a mm. very like cognac is a vibe for this play because it's like 1930s yeah it's very swanky um but they're arguing and that's also important to note because they're arguing and bickering and they're like high class people and they're arguing in this you know very like domestic way and uh, domestically abusing each other which is something that is associated in their fancy apartment exactly in their fancy Mm -hmm. parisian apartment and arguing and bickering and domestic abuse is oftentimes even now but especially then associated with lower class people. Mm-hmm. And so we're getting a glimpse into how these rich people argue and hit each other. Um, just like, yeah, just like these audiences might have expected lower class people. So that's uh, anytime. Interesting. Like, yeah. Anytime I see kind of punching up like that, I'm like, hmm, it's a real <laughs> smart thing you did there. Noel Coward, real smart thing. Yeah. But yeah, uh, so at, at the height climax of this fight, in walks Sybil and Victor, and they are shocked. And then we go to act three. Wait, how do they get to their apartment? That's very confusing. These people ran away together. I assume Sybil and Victor didn't know where they were going. And they're just now together? Surprise! They, yeah, they, <laughs> well, no, I, th- I think that Victor must have known that Amanda had a flat in Paris. And he just is like, hey, um, our significant others have run off with each other so now we're gonna go fuck them up let's show up in paris and she yeah. was like yeah let's do it this is All what right. i assume i'm sure that there's a logical ex- <laughs> i mean the play is very like approachable it's not it's not a difficult read it's a very yeah um, it's a very fun read it moves very fast paced like all of noel coward's plays um which is one thing i love about his writing it's so quick and it's so witty and fast and it's like watching yeah. a ping pong match between the actors on stage interesting Yes. And now we have four actors on stage in act three and we're about to like, like all hell is about to break loose. So basically it's kind of hard to explain. Like Sybil and Victor walked in, it was like late into the evening. So I guess everybody like eventually went to bed Mm -hmm. and they're all sleeping in the same apartment. And then this is the next morning when they're waking up and Amanda tries to like sneak out but she's surprised to see Sybil and Victor there. Hmm. And so she's like, oh, shit, they're like here. They're like, we're going to be in so much trouble. But then they start talking and then Elliot comes in and it says in the Wikipedia page, he and Amanda start bickering first thing in the morning. 
They start bickering. <laughs> uh, Can't control themselves. Yeah. And then basically Sybil and Victor say that they will not grant Elliot and Amanda divorces because at this time, mm-hmm. you know, like both parties have to agree to the divorce yeah. for it to go through legally. And so they want to like give it a year in like their marriages rather than having their marriages annulled because remember they were on their honeymoon they had only been married to you know these separate people for a short amount a of time while. yeah yeah for maybe like a month so funny yeah <laughs> and so as tempers rise it says sybil and victor start to bicker with each other and they're they so start- are they gonna get married next that's like Possibly. Amanda and <laughs> Elliot comment on how Sybil and Victor are perfect for each other because Elliot and Amanda's like ideal marriage is this constant bickering. They have a very toxic uh, personalities, I think. They I was going to say relationship, but I think they are, they are the toxicity. <laughs> they are. They really are. And so they, everybody's bickering, everybody's mad, and Basically, Amanda and Elliot forgive each other, mm-hmm. and they decide to That's stay good. together. And while Sybil and- another day, literally, yeah, they survive to bicker another day. And Elliot and Amanda tiptoe out while Victor and Sybil reach a point of mutual violence. So they have sex. I mean, no, but I would. <laughs> okay, so in our version, <laughs> our version of that play, yes, they do. That we finally get to the sex swing yeah. i feel like no they can't you have to just have the sex swing sitting there they can't actually use the sex swing at any point it is just <laughs> mutual violence so they're both like sadists or something i don't know i don't know there would be some something to do with the costuming there but you can't yeah. use the sex swing it's just it's Chekhov's gun it's yeah, Chekhov's gun but it, it actually yeah. never gets used yeah, no. Or if it does, it has to be like the very, very last scene where you just see someone sitting in the sex wing and the curtains go down or something like that, you know? Like- That's what this is. <laughs> this is the end. Sybil oh, and Victor, okay. yeah, they're fighting and then Amanda and Elliot just tiptoe out. So that's it. That's that's the whole play. Um, it sounds It sounds more violent than it is. Like, as I'm reading this out loud, like, you know, I'm like, ooh, domestic abuse. That is not funny. Why is this a comedy? But the way I- It's physical I've- comedy. Yeah. Right. The way I've always seen it played is um, much more slapstick, you know? Yeah. We so, like to like, see people get slapped. Yeah. As humans, we do like to, and it's more of like unfortunate, like unfortunate mishaps on stage mm-hmm. rather than like people actually getting injured yeah. or hurt. Injured or so yeah. um, that makes sense. So yeah, but a few things to note about, let's see, I wanted to talk a little bit about the literary analysis um, mm-hmm. But before we get to that, uh, I do want to say that uh, Noel Coward did play Elliot. 1931, uh, on Broadway, the Times Square Theater, and Noel Coward played Elliot, and a young Laurence Olivier played Victor. So fun stuff there. Christian's like, this means nothing to me. I have no idea. Yeah, I can't see my face, but I'm just over like, yes, yes, okay, okay. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Laurence Olivier was like super, super famous in like, I think the 1930s and 40s for playing a bunch of like Shakespeare. He was like a huge Shakespeare guy. And then there is a 2023, uh, actually it just happened. It says on Wikipedia that it's about to happen, but um, that's not true. Uh, yeah, no, it, it just closed in May. So last month was the Donmar Warehouse in London did this play. Oh, cool. so yeah. As recently as this year, this play has been performed professionally. And I, like, I think in Chicago, the uh, Raven Theater did this play. Mm. I, I had an audition. I auditioned for Sybil. Oh, for cool. um For this play. I so remember it, that. Exactly. But to go into a little bit of the uh, literary analysis of this play... People have read this play uh, using like uh, queer theory, literary analysis. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to read from the Wikipedia page. It says, uh, Penny Farfin analyzes the play from the point of view of queer theory, arguing that the subversiveness of Coward's sexual identity is reflected in his work and that Private Lives questions the conventional gender norms on which compulsory heterosexuality depends. So I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, take on the play, especially because it does dive so deeply into the gender roles 
of a marriage of the 1930s. And I, I have to say mm-hmm. 1920s and 1930s, because this is in 1930, and how uh, women are, you know, getting the right to vote, women's suffrage in the 1920s. And so people are, you know, like gender roles are changing, you know, was Coward thinking of that writing this play thinking like, okay, gender roles are changing. How are we thinking of sexuality within a marriage? And this play is you know, quite sexy for the time. I mean, now we, mm-hmm. we think of it, you know, and we're like, you know, it's very I, calm and whatever. Yeah. Right. But right. It was very like, sexy. Yeah. We we don't think of it as like scandalous now, but like at the time it was like, oh, this is a husband and wife who are very witty, very smart. They're both very intelligent and they obviously treat each other like equals in yeah. this play. And so interesting. Um, and, and definitely they, respect each other as intellectual equals, mm-hmm. which I, you know, I don't know. I think it would be fascinating. And I'm sure lots of people have probably written about this. Were there other plays at the time where husband and wives were depicted as equals? Mm-hmm. And if they were, did they not make it to the stage because of whatever reason? And how interesting yeah. is it that this play depicting a heterosexual couple you know, becomes really kind of famous in its, you know, when it's written and when it, it made it to Broadway and yeah. it made it all the way from England to America to be on Broadway. And and it was written by a gay man, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, I think it would be interesting to see like which plays that were being written at the same time were similar, but didn't make it like why, what those like social factors were. And some of that's just going to be luck, but um, right. Like, why was this, this the one? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cool, cool. Cool. And so uh, last thing, our quiz for uh, for the play. This is a perfect one. Perfect. I feel like one. I'm so hungover that it's going to be like, my it's brain a, is so foggy. It's a hard <laughs> question. It's a hard question. Okay. But what is the code word that Elliot and Amanda use to break up their arguments? That's too long for even them to get. <laughs> they wouldn't You're, even be able to answer this quiz. Solomon do you remember something. the abbreviation? No. It's Solomon Isaacs, abbreviated Solomon to Solix. I just feel like that's still pretty hard to say. Like not hard, but you know, it's just not a good safe word. I wonder, I wonder if because you know how in England um people say bullocks, or maybe oh, I don't know if that word yeah. is still used, but like definitely in the 1930s, people were saying bullocks as like mm-hmm. bullshit. So maybe wanna, it was like close I want to write a whole dissertation on how in England, they were they were like really leaning into the word bullocks, while yeah. in America we were really leaning into bullshit. That's true. I can't even say bullocks properly. It's okay. It's hard to it's say. Your accent, apparently. But yeah, that's that's Private Lives by Noel Coward. Lovely. Yes. Cool. Cool. Maybe someday I'll actually watch the play. You should. It's. Yeah. I mean, the good thing about Noel Coward plays is they're they're real like they're a tight ninety minutes. Like mm-hmm. I've, so it's I've not never, like super long and yeah, not super yeah. long. They're all, almost all. I think he only wrote comedies. He always writes about people and their relatives, whether it's, um, well, I mean, he wrote Blythe Spirit. It's the other one. He wrote um, Hay Fever and Bl- I should have done Blythe Spirit. That's another good. I'm not that familiar with that one, but yeah. And he I've also heard of it, but I don't think I've ever seen that one either. I'm sure that it does not mean like what we associate. It meaning now, but he did write a song called London Pride. Nice. It probably does not, not in any way associated with Pride Month. But Yeah, not associated <laughs> with Pride Month at all, but you know, he did, he did write that song. Nice. I, I didn't know. I don't think he's famous for his songs, but he did also but write. he dabbled. Songs. Yeah. And he was an actor and he, uh, there are just some like fantastic photos of him. He was, <laughs> some of these photos are like his hair. He has like a swoopy <laughs> kind of hair thing that's just yeah. like really like google noel coward that's what i'm doing now no there's lots of pictures of him when he's old interesting i see his swoopy hair yes the swoop yeah <laughs> that was pretty popular at the time though wasn't it i think so but yeah that's my piece wonderful should we take a break now and then jump back in sure and i'll look Let's at noel it. coward's hair yeah <laughs> do, do a deep dive just on noel yep. coward's hair Okay. 
Okay, we're back from our Noel Coward uh, hair break. Um, I'm yeah. glad he enjoyed this <laughs> Yeah. Did uh, you did you learn anything new about Noel Coward's hair? Um, he lost a lot of it later in life, so it's good that he enjoyed this spook when he was young. Uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> happens to all of us. At a pretty intense widow's peak. All right, Christian, tell us what you're doing today. Okay, so first off, um, I was wrong. This the internet lies. So this was not a book before it was a play. It was just a play. Um, and I should probably check sources and the things that I read. Um, if you're writing your papers based off Wikipedia, check your sources. Uh, also, just scroll down to the reference section. It's very helpful. What do you mean? Why would um, Wikipedia lie to us? <laughs> Actually, to be fair, Wikipedia didn't lie. It was the text preview that lied. And I just took it for its words. But today, we're talking about Fat Ham. Yes. Yay. A play written by James. I think his last name is Ames. So James Ames, but it's also spelled I-J-A-M-E-S. So it's James I. James. Oh, well, maybe, maybe this is a, because he is still alive. Or, we, yes. Obviously kind of thing. we know this. I'm sure Christian will get into like our connection to this play, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to Google him as well. Just so, so I can- he is a black queer playwright. He has written all kinds of cool stuff, um, but he's won. Pulitzer Prize, a Pulitzer Prize winner for drama. And then he has won Tony Awards or no, he's nominated for Tony Awards, uh, multiple Tonys. But as we know, he did not get those for Fat Ham. Rude. So rude. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Robbed. Our connection is we actually went to see this play. Yeah, um, It was wonderful. It was a lot of fun. I yes. highly suggest it. Um, it had too much music for Kathleen, but she let it slide because the play was so good. I did. I, I let it slide. Everybody that knows me knows that I hate musicals, um, but this was very, very well done. So yeah, they they used music in a very creative way and they didn't just use it for like, you know, like musical theater. Dee, 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 dee. Like, let's sing about stuff that doesn't even push the plot along. <laughs> the hatred is clear. Yeah. I love musical theater. Oh, oh. my goodness. I, um, I, I, I'm the weird one. I'm the weird one that's yeah. deeply annoyed by it. And I will accept that. And like to an extreme extent, it's honestly entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take you to a musical just to hear you. I mean, beat but it I the see that's time. the thing. I can't avoid, especially living in New York. I can't avoid them. I go to them all the time, mm-hmm. and every time it's just like a massive eye roll. Yeah, but I feel like in those situations, if you're by yourself, you're silent. If I were there, it'd be pretty dramatic. Very. I I am not. I am silent about nothing. <laughs> You're like, that is not in my repertoire repertoire <laughs> i clearly need to be silent more often um no you you need to come with me to the to the um the per- well you do we we do go to a lot of performances together but i when i when i force my friends to go to performances i force them to go to things that i know i will like like fat ham <laughs> that's true and i'm just kind of along for the ride so i very rarely choose anything that i want to see <laughs> Yes, I, I try to choose, like, I feel like Fat Ham is a good, a, a good play if, you know, you might not know what the person likes. Yeah. I think it's a good one because it's, again, 90 minutes. It's a tight 90 minutes, no intermission. You know, it's a fun yeah. time. It's, um like, even the poster for the show, like, you, you know, it's going to be a good time. And there's a lot of stuff on Broadway that's geared toward children. And I think if you're looking for my recommendation for this is if you're looking for something that is maybe for you and your like other adult friends, this is a really mm-hmm. great night at the theater because it's I mean, it's friendly for children, but it's not like the Lion King or um, I don't know. I don't think I would take like a young kid to this. I feel like it's like middle school or older. Like, yeah, it would be entertaining, but it's grown up enough that it doesn't feel like a children's play. Um, right. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't take, like, your five-year-old. They are not going to have a good time. But older kids, I feel like this was a good kid that's very quippy and fun, and it's not too long, and yeah. Um, But 30-second summary, Hamlet with queer characters. Yes, queer Black characters. Yes, yeah. The entire cast, okay, so the, this is, let me just read you the entire Wikipedia page, basically. Juicy, a young queer Black man, is confronted by the ghost of his father during a barbecue who demands that Juicy avenge his murder. Juicy, already familiar with Hamlet's plight, tries to break the cycle of trauma and violence. That's it. That's a very, not a very great um, summary, but it gets it. It's, I mean, that's their 30-second summary. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love, I love that it does address, you know, and I think this is something that the, uh, the author has been very um, outspoken about is that, you know, this is, uh, and I really hope this becomes the definitive take on Hamlet where, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about ending cycles of violence. Yeah. I think that, that, that was the thing that this did very well because it's, the ghost is like kind of a thing that moves the plot forward where Juicy's trying to like break that cycle of trauma and violence. But you can also see through the relationships of the characters, which this is just so what the summary doesn't tell you is like it's just it is a family barbecue. So it is they're celebrating his mom getting remarried, which is mm-hmm. very Hamlet-esque, um, to his uncle, um, his father's brother. And his father's brother, as in Hamlet, had him killed. Um, so the ghost is wanting revenge and Juicy is dealing with the toxicity of his mom's new relationship and the um, somewhat abusive characteristics that are being shown there. And then his own relationships with family friends um, and, you know, all of that. So there's a lot of different things that they're talking about trauma and violence in their lives from military um, to being a queer woman, queer, queer black woman and a queer black man. Yeah. And like how those impact different people and the violence and the trauma that they've experienced because of their different perspectives on life. Um, growing up in the same area. So it's really, really well done. Like very well done. I very much enjoyed it. And it's funny. It's very funny. Yes, it's very funny. And it's funny without being, or at least I thought my experience of the play was, uh, it was funny without being a comedy. I don't know. I don't know if I would call it a comedy. I think, I, well, yeah, I feel like this is a hard one to classify. Like, I think it is a comedy, technically. Yeah. Um, and it is an adaptation of Hamlet. But it has its own, it's not, like, everything's not funny. There are some pretty intense moments. Yeah. Uh, like, with the ghost and without the ghost. They're, like, be, with the relationships and, like, the representation of self. I feel like they really do a good job, or he, the playwright, does a very good job of addressing, like, the way that society sees you and the way that you see yourself and how those things can be very different. Um, right. In a lot of scenes that are very intense and not funny. Um but then there's always a little bit of humor at the end. I did love, uh, what is the name of the best friend? Uh, Tio? Yes. Tio? Yeah. Yes, he's the Tio uh, Horatio. Of, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So you've got, so the characters are Juicy, um, Pap, which is, Pap is the dad? The father, yes. And he's father. also, he's the ghost that shows up. Yeah, the ghost. Yeah, okay. That was a, making sure I got that right. And Tedra, um, Tedra is his, his mom. Yes. If I remember correctly. And then Rev, which is his uncle, Tio, the Horatio, Rabbi, Opal, and Larry, which are like family friends. Um, yes, Opal, and- go ahead. Uh, Opal is Ophelia. But Opal's not Ophelia, which I what? thought was also very interesting. She is, but so is Larry. They are yeah. Ophelia. The tragic life and the like, the love and like, you know, that, that kind of triangle. There's a friendship aspect with Opal. But I thought he but was then, Larry. Larry is Lear. Um, oh, you're right. You're right. You're brother. Right. Ophelia. But I feel like there was the way that they're written. Some of the Ophelia characteristics, I think, are built into Larry's character. So yeah. I feel like, yeah, Opal is his, like, there's a platonic love that they have and, like, relationship there. But, like, it's also, yeah, it's just very interesting, I think. And then Larry is kind of a love interest, but they also kind of address the complicated nature of being someone who's in the closet and in a community that you don't feel is open to your sexuality. Right, um, right. And I think, or your, you know, what, like your gender identity and all of those things, like I feel like they address those types of things very well in this play. Like yeah. if your community is not open to you being queer, how that can manifest in your behavior or the way that you view the world and like what trauma that can create. Um, yeah. But, and yeah. we we learn throughout the play that Juicy is more comfortable, it seems, in his sexuality than Larry. And so yeah. Larry has not come out to anyone. And we really very much see... presents as stereotypically masculine. Yes. Um, he's in the military. Yeah. He, you know, like everybody in his sphere of existence believes that he is a heterosexual man and he is still struggling with his sexuality. And yeah, obviously that comes to a climax in the play. Yeah. It's funny doing this because I feel like the way that we're describing it probably because it's still a show that's on Broadway. It's something that you might see. We're still like trying to avoid spoilers. <laughs> I know, I know. So well, I, mean, I think it's been on Broadway long enough. 
that I think we can we can talk about spoilers because people can um they can they can access this script online yeah. they can I just yeah. hadn't thought about the way <laughs> I feel like I hadn't thought about the way that we're approaching this but we are like avoiding spoilers so basically I'm gonna give another summary without avoiding spoilers because why <laughs> yes uh Juicy's character is planning or like decorating for a reception in quotations it's like a backyard barbecue to celebrate his mom getting married to Rev they have their whole thing going on Rev and Tendra Tedra are very like touchy-feely through the whole thing which was really funny to me because like as a child of someone getting me and you're like ew gross like yeah you don't to that. but that hits uh, like that really because I think when we see productions of Hamlet you know ta- taking place in like you know the 1600s or whatever they don't that yeah. I've never I've never seen a production of Hamlet where they are on each other that much I've seen yeah. I've seen Macbeth where we have a very like almost sexually explicit uh, Lady M and Mackers on mm-hmm. stage. I've seen that, but I have not seen um, Gertrude and Claudius yeah. like going at it on stage. And you know, it it makes the audience feel as repulsed as Juicy as feels juicy. in that moment. Yeah. yeah. And I think one thing that's cool about the way they do. So while all this is going on, Juicy has individual conversations with each of them, where Rev is very threatening and clearly abusive, and clearly does not like Juicy and does not want him in the picture. And his conversations with Tedra are very much like, he's like, why are you marrying him? Like, he's not a good person. You know, you don't even love him. And while they're still all over each other and there's that like sexual aspect of their relationship, she's clearly marrying him for the like, I don't know, stability, which is always something I think with the original Hamlet is like those characters are marrying because she doesn't have any other social power in that situation. Like that's the only option she has. And I feel like that's the way that this character came across is she felt like she didn't have other options. So in order to save herself and to survive, she married a man who was abusive and violent and she's like cool with it because that's what she had to do. And Juicy's like, no, we're going to break this cycle. Like not cool. Um, and so the, the play goes on. You find out that Larry has a thing for Juicy, but not really kind of has a thing for Juicy, but is really more attracted to the fact that Juicy is comfortable with himself and is open um, yeah. and out. There's a beautiful, the beautiful scene where uh, we we learn earlier in the play that, you know, part of these characters culture, uh, part of black American culture is Mm -hmm. like when somebody fixes you a plate at a barbecue, that's, you know, they're showing affection for you. And then then later, Juicy gets that bit of information. Then later, I think it's Larry fixes him a plate. Yeah. And it's, it's just a very touching, beautiful moment. Yeah, but it's very subtle, too. It's like they don't even make yeah. it a, a big thing. It's just clearly like Larry is trying to show love. Yeah. Um, brilliant yeah, it was, writing. It was brilliant writing. Yeah, very, very brilliant. So Opal is like his friend. So he confides in Opal about all of these things. And then Larry kisses him at one point. So there's all of these different things going on, all of the different relationships. They're discussing their trauma. They're being very open about it. There are some really quippy lines that pull in the original Hamlet lines, which is great. At one, at one point, I leaned over to Kathleen and I was like, I love the way that they just pulled in Hamlet there. And she's like, bitch, this is Hamlet. And I was like, yeah, duh. <laughs> I'm like, girl, did you I was think- drinking wine, but like, it's my first class, second class. <laughs> we had been drinking. We we were we were somewhat tipsy. Which no yeah, one is like surprised. mildly. <laughs> no one is surprised. Not but- so much that I wouldn't know it was Hamlet. It's called Fat Ham. <laughs> I-, I looked at this bitch and I was like, "Yes, girl, it's Hamlet." And she's she looked at me like with such innocent surprise of like, "There's lines uh, from Hamlet in this play, Kathleen." <laughs> I'm like, "Yes, girl. Yes, girl." <laughs> the-, the sweet. I innocence. had mentioned that I just really appreciated the way that they brought it in. <laughs> Not that I understand there was a connection. I was like, how drunk are you? Like, <laughs> what was in that cocktail? But anyway, so we weren't that drunk. And the characters all have very, like, interesting relationships. I think it's, it's cool how they bring those lines in in order to explain the trauma in a yeah. way that people are familiar with, too, which is really cool. So yes. it all comes to a point when Juicy outs Larry. And it's very dramatic and Larry's very upset and like the family gets upset and there's this whole thing. And then he, so he confronts Rev, the whole thing goes down where there's like, you know, all of the, the everybody's going to die moment and they all start fighting. And the lighting was really great for that. Um, the way yes. that they did that was just wonderful. 
But then they're like, wait a second, why do we have to die? They break the fourth yeah. wall and they talk to the audience and they're like, yeah, exercising so much agency, you know, for mm -hmm. these characters, which are 400 years old. <laughs> and Tio's character, who has been, just been chilling and watching all the drama. Yeah, at this point, he's like involved, but not really involved. He's like on stage with his potato chips kind of thing, you know, <laughs> like watching things play out. But he's like, I'll be fine. Like, I'd rather not have everyone die. But like, you know, I I'll be cool. And it's yeah. just a really funny comedic moment. And as we and know, then, like, Horatio is the one that survives at the end of Hamlet. Yeah. So he's like, I mean, cool. sucks for you guys. But like, yeah, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, it was like, yeah, that was just very well done. They go on to like, I don't remember exactly like how it all wraps up, but they decide they're not going to die. They're all happy go lucky. And then Larry comes out in like an angel dress. And I feel like there's like something to do with that dress. There's someone told me afterwards that there's something specific about the costuming that is impl like implying connection to something else. But I can't remember what it was now. But it's I beautiful mean, music. Yeah. Nothing's and there's there's also part. a disco ball and it turns yeah. into like a, a it turns into RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's absolutely wonderful. And then there's a whole dance number. And yeah, it was just really very well done. Brilliantly written. Yes. Um, and I feel like it leaves you with the feeling, like a happy-go-lucky feeling after seeing all of this trauma and hearing all of these things that are very, very real about the Black queer experience in the United States. Like you have all of these sad things with a little bit of humor thrown in, and then you have this big number where he's finally okay with himself and he's willing to show everyone who he is. Yes. And not, and I don't want to say okay with himself. That's not a good way to put it. It's not that. It's like because he didn't have qualms about who he was, more about how society saw who he was. Yeah. And so he's finally like coming out in a huge way and it just brings everybody together and it like brings the family together on the stage and then the whole audience is dancing and it's very well done. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. And it's the characters using their agency to rewrite the end of the show. Yeah. And to, you know, say like this, you like, you know how this was going to end, you know yeah. how it was going to end. You, you thought it was going to end in tragedy mm -hmm. and we are ending it in comedy but it doesn't have to yeah we're, we're yeah. ending we're ending with a dance party instead yeah and i also think that that's like the, that's an example of the agency that you have in your own life this yeah. is the way that these generations have viewed yeah. the story for generations we've seen hamlet as a tragedy everyone dies every remake has been everyone dying at the end but this right. is you know the playwright and the characters chance to rewrite the way that we see the world and the way that we see this play and i feel like it's such a like a moral life lesson kind of moment where it's like, you know, all of these things have happened that changes the tragedy and makes it something better. And I like that. I thought it was great. Yes. No, it was, it was so fun. And I think that a, a sentiment that I've, I've heard my, my queer playwright friends express and that, you know, I also feel even as a straight woman who is an ally, I'm tired of seeing like queer dramas where everybody dies at the end. I'm tired of seeing like tragedy happen to people who have historically been oppressed. You know, and I think that there's something that there's something to be said about having a realistic depiction of how people are treated. Like historically, they right people who are queer, people who are black, particularly in the United States, have been victims of incredible tragedy right. and at the hands of white people. So right. I think that there's something to be said about remembering that and making sure that there's that representation so that we don't pretend that it didn't happen. Exactly. But it's also nice to have something like this, like the representation in the United States for minority characters in theater and in TV and in film has grown so much. Like the idea of having an all black cast for Hamlet and was like not a thing when we were young, like that no. just didn't happen. You might no. have a token black person as a part of the cast, but you would not have the entire, you know, they wouldn't be winning Pulitzer Prizes for this right. style of stuff. And I just think it's like, on the one hand, you need to remember that tragedy and that history because it's important that we don't forget that it was our fault as a white community, whether right. or not you personally did it. But it's also important to have these things that are like, yes, that happened. Let's change it. Right. Um, and showing yeah. a future. And happy. Yeah. Yes. A showing a future generation, you know, not just sad stories about oppressed people, yeah. but happy stories about these vibrant communities of queer people mm -hmm. and Black people and people of all shapes and sizes and colors yeah. 
you know, having joyous stories and happy endings yeah. as well. That these peoples don't exist as victims only, that they are human right. beings with lives and hearts and beautiful stories that can be shared. Yeah, that's, I think that's important. And we have so much, We you know, we've made so much progress, but we have so much further to go. Oh, yeah. Yes. But that Exciting. is it. And that Fat Ham has very, very little, because it's so new, it premiered in 2021 in Philadelphia at the Wilmoth Theater. The playwright James Ames, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but I tried to look it up. Um, He is from North Carolina and got his education in Georgia and then in Philadelphia. So very interesting. But this is the latest in his plays. He has had multiple plays that have done very well. Trying to think, I've never heard of them, but I also don't follow plays like this. Um, But he did write the most spectacularly lamentable trial of Ms. Martha Washington. Yes, which which was at Steppenwolf. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was the only one I was familiar with. But he has quite a few plays that he's written that have been performed at the National Black Theater, the uh, theaters in um, Pennsylvania, and like some in Washington, D.C. Like, yeah, really cool. I found Um, a video of him saying his name. It's James Iams. Iams. Okay. James Iams. That makes sense. Okay. So anyway, very cool playwright. James Iams. Very cool. Very interesting. This was a masterpiece. Yes. Fantastic. And also pay all the writers like James Iams. Yes. 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 Okay. That's all I got. Um, I feel like my only quiz would be who is the Horatio? Uh, Tio. Tio. I could have done any of the other characters. I was like, I'll pick one. Yes. There's just so little on this Wikipedia page. His character was hilarious. Oh my goodness. So stupid, but so, so funny. Yes. And I also have to call out, Um, let's see, let me find her name again. He is also not black. Tio's character is not black. He is not black. That's correct. Yes. We yeah. should have, sorry, we should have mentioned that at the yeah, We should have clarified that. Yeah. He is the only character in this show, in the, like, he's the only cast member that is not black. Um, and he's Hispanic. Yes. Yeah. He is Hispanic. Um, and then I was looking for uh, Nikki Crawford plays uh, Tedra, and I think she was uh, nominated for a Tony for uh, Best Supporting Actress. And yeah, Best Featured Act. Best Featured Actress. Yes. Yes. Yeah. She was amazing. Oh, my goodness. Just she really was. Absolutely stunning. Masterclass in acting for anybody who, who loves acting and who is an actor out there. She was just amazing. Yeah. She just was so good. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Cool. And then we also have some uh some nonprofits to plug in this show. Yeah. Uh yeah. sorry. Oh my god, um, my video just like yeah, went away. We have nonprofits to plug as well. Yeah. So since it's Pride Month, one of the things that um I think is important is I feel like we didn't do as good of a job as we wanted to last year in promoting organizations because the reality is there's so I saw this meme today that was like Pride is not about um, making straight kids queer. It's about making sure that queer kids stay alive. And I feel like that's fact. That the reality is things like Fat Ham exist because those, like, those challenges in life still exist for the LGBT plus community. Like, uh, there's still a lot of violence toward them, particularly trans peoples. um, And there's still a lot of things that need to be we have a long way to go. We have a very long way to go. And exactly. one of the things we talked about recently is because we're women in the United States, healthcare is kind of constantly on our minds. And I think it's the same for the LGBT. Um, so we kind of looked for things with that in mind. Yes. Healthcare provided specifically for the LGBTQ plus communities. Yes. Understanding their needs and like, you know, particularly with trans people, I think that there's oftentimes they can't get the care that they need. Um, and it is absolutely silly. Because, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I found one. I, I can go first uh, with mine. Yeah. Because um, I have it pulled up here. The one that I found was it's specifically to the New York City community. It's called Callen Lord. That's C-A-L-L-E-N-L-O-R-D-E. Global Leaders in LGBTQ plus health. When you go to their website, they are described as providing sensitive quality healthcare and related services targeted to New York City's LGBTQ plus communities. They provide services for transgender health, women's health, health outreach to teens, behavior health, and HIV services, among many other services to the New York community. They, uh, we are going to post their 
um, website, uh, my, the website that I found for Cal and Lord, and then the website that Christian's going to tell you about on the description page for our, um, uh, for this podcast. So if you're listening, yeah. you'll be able to and see it. And it will live in our link tree for a while. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so, yeah, Cal and Lord, I discovered them, uh, when I was searching for, um, uh, places where LGBTQ plus people can go to seek, uh, healthcare and, it looks like they are a really great resource in the New York community. Um, the one that I wanted to talk about was uh, Center Center on Halstead. I think that most people in the Chicago area have probably heard about it, um, particularly if you are or you are an ally for people who are LGBT plus. And I, yeah, it's just an amazing organization. They so they offer comprehensive community centers, like a community center dedicated to advancing and securing health and well-being of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people in the Chicago area. So not only do they have um, access to medical care, things like rapid HIV testing, all of those things that you medically need, they also focus on wellness. So they do things like cooking classes. They offer housing for um, older uh, queer individuals. Um, They offer support, uh, counseling, uh, just space to organize with other people. They yes. offer a whole community and it's just a beautiful, like free Wi-Fi, great lobby, library, like educational materials, like the whole gamut supporting the LGBT community in Chicago. Um, and I think it says it's the largest um, community center dedicated to LGBT needs. Yes. Very, and cool. If, Very cool. If you are if you are on the north side of Chicago, you have likely passed by this place if you shop mm-hmm. at the uh, Lakeview Whole Foods, like I did when I lived there. And so yeah. you might already be familiar with this place and not know it. Um, but but now you you can look into all the services that they provide because there are some some really great ones there. And not just the services. If you are not in need of these services, that's you know, perfectly fine. Like if you want to be a part of the community, reach out. Their website has lots of information about all of their different comprehensive programming. And I'm sure that the one in New York is the same. Um, But also they could use donations. Um, They could use donations. They could use volunteers, like get involved to help people in the community. Yes. Um, I think that's very important. And if you don't have the time to get involved, donate 20 bucks, you know, exactly. (laughs) These are communities that still very much need our support. And particularly as allies, I think that we have a responsibility to make sure that they know that we're present and supporting. And they do rentals for weddings. That's cool. (laughs) I'm just searching the website now. (laughs) <laughs> yes. And and they're lo- like, I can personally say like, Christian, I don't know if you've ever been over there where their like facilities are. Um, I think it's uh, Halstead and Addison. Uh-huh. I think that's the cross street. And it's actually, it's very close to Wrigley Field and it's oh, like cool. such a fun area. Yeah. So yeah. It's really awesome. Cool. Cool. Well, I think that is, that's the the last of our show. It was so fun to talk about some queer authors, some queer plays, and yeah. yeah. Happy Pride, everybody. Yay. Yes. Yes. Cool, cool. Check out these websites. Yeah, Maybe. and they will live in our link tree. We'll put the links in like our, you know, social media posts. So yes. Yeah. And also if so. if uh we can uh celebrate any other queer authors during this month, send us your favorite queer plays. We covered two of them. Yeah. These are like literally the top surface. So I'm I'm saying right now, as this idea pops into my head, what are your favorite queer plays? Send mm-hmm. us to them or send them to us, if I can talk. Send them to us on Instagram and and we'll, we'll read them. the Wikipedia. We yes, we will read the Wikipedia page <laughs> for them and and then we'll respond back to you and be like, oh my God, that's also a cool queer play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's just so there's so much out there. Like if you are looking for anything like Block Club Chicago had a really good um article on queer authors. This yes. One, um, which was wonderful. There are like 150 books and plays that they suggested. So there's lots of resources out there. So Google is your best friend. Yes. Um, but also we would like to know what you like. What you like yes. Not just, not just this month, any month. All the time. Yeah. All the times. Any requests for books that we cover? I'm open to it. Yes. No, we, we have to start making them pay for the highly requested ones. We have yeah. to, for the highly <laughs> requested ones, you need to come to a live show you, that's why we did Great Gatsby because we know that everybody yeah. loves it. Yeah, it was a blast. Yeah, you gotta you if you're gonna request it, you gotta join in the party for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's fair. Yes. Cool. Cool. Well, this is so fun. And I guess the last thing is just our social media. You can find us two English majors walk into a bar on all social media. Um, we try to be active, but actually we don't because yeah, I we're, think- we're pretty bad at that. Yeah. I, I have, I have one thing that I sent Christian that she was like, you should post this on the, it was about our Thumbelina episode. And she was like, you should post yeah. this on the, the IG page. And I'm like, I will try to figure out how to do that. Yes. And then I just, uh, yeah, I'm a slacker. That's it. That's all I got. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. We, Christian, we know this. We, the whole podcast is about slacking. We yep. read the Wikipedia yep. page to people. I was an English major for a reason. Same. Exactly. My parents are so proud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we made it to the Wikipedia page and no further. We hope everybody is having a good pride out there and, and we will see stay you next. Stay safe, stay hydrated. Yes. As you go to these events. Yes. Lots of, well, beginning of summer too, like stay hydrated. Yeah, exactly. It's so hot and so crowded at these things. So yeah, stay safe, have fun. Yes. Enjoy pride. Yes. We love you all. We are Kathleen Brembach on all social media. And Christian Lutz. Yes. Mostly. We'll see you next month. <laughs> Two English Majors Walk Into a Bar is produced by Kathleen Brumbach and Christian Lutz. Cover art by Bobby Lutz and sound design by Matt Fletcher.